we are back. Yes, sir. Got a lot of stuff to cover this week. Um, you know, it's just general comments. No, nothing on World Cup, nothing movies in particular. But uh, does it feel like it is a fairly tepid summer, mm. movie-wise, entertainment-wise, so far? I, I got to tell you, you know, um, um, uh, saw Ant-Man and Wasp. I yeah. thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah. We've, we've already seen Star yeah. Wars kind of come and go. I don't know how Ant-Man and Wasp will... Avengers we'll, come and go. We'll, 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 Avengers come and go over the, over the rest of the season. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it's not a lot of... I don't feel a lot of energy... Uh, out there for anything in particular. I don't either. I mean, things are making money. It's oh, not sure. like they're bombing, yeah. but it's just, uh, it all feels very sort of this, then that, then this, then that. There doesn't seem to be any anything from, I get it, and I guess it's because it's all stuff that we're familiar with. It's all Marvel. It's all Star Wars. Mm -hmm. It's all familiar. It's all franchise. There's nothing, the thrill of discovering something new isn't, yeah. isn't there. Yeah. I just, I always go back to E.T., you know? Yeah. That, that moment when E.T. came out and it just blindsided everybody. Yeah. Uh, the big movies, smaller movies. I mean, in the last year, I don't want to be too, you know, last year when Get Out was roaming around yeah, and sure. people were talking that, about that. That, too. that, that, was, that a, was the thing. They're water cooler movies. Yeah. There doesn't yeah. seem to be a water cooler movie. And uh, and certainly the bigger they are, the less they're more, the, the less, the, i tell you what people are talking to me most about. Television. Uh, or yeah. streaming video, Netflix, yeah. whatever it is they're watching, yeah. or streaming or whatever at the moment. That's what they walk up to me to talk to me about. Uh, back in the day, it used to be movies. What are you watching? And now when they say, what are you watching? What they really mean is what television show you're watching. They don't really mean what movie yeah. should I go see. True. You know? yeah, so, yeah. Very true. What are you going to do? All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll jump right in. I've got a few things to cover, some anime and some music. Uh, on the music end, i got a really interesting Blu-ray here called Scream for Me, Sarajevo. And this is really interesting to me. This is from uh, Eagle Vision and Universal. Uh, this, is the, this is the story of a, a concert that uh, took place in 1994, right while Sarajevo was under siege. And uh, Bruce Dickinson and his band Skunk Works uh, held this concert, right, during, in the middle of a war zone during wartime uh, to, you know, j basically just uh, defy the, the situation. And uh, this is all about that moment, and it's a it's a really really interesting doc. It's ninety five minutes long, and it's 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 really it's quite powerful. And I'm surprised that it took this long to uh, for this to come out. Um, this reminds me, in many respects, of a short film that some friends of mine made. Uh, gosh, not far after ninety four, it was probably it was probably a few years after that. Uh, I want to think maybe late nineties. Anyway, uh, my friends uh, James Harvey and Richie Stoves made a short called Rave Against the Machine, mm. which is, you know, the music scene in Sarajevo at the time, and uh, that also was really powerful. I met them because I was on the AFI uh, Film Festival jury mm -hmm. for the shorts at the time, and their short was in competition, and uh, it was it was just tremendous, and met them, and we became friends. As it happened, that was also the year that a short by uh, Jason Reitman was in competition, mm. and he went on to be a big deal, and then also the... Uh, the, the short film that went on to be nominated for an Oscar by uh, the New Zealand filmmaker whose name I'm totally drawing a blank on because he won our freaking award. He just directed... Uh, oh, uh, uh, Tawaki. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah just directed yeah. a Thor movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, he's a big deal now too. Yeah, yeah, and he won. He won yeah. our award. But anyway, uh, Rave Against the Machine was some, there. Sort of worked their way through the system and the, their the way, way that the it system. was done back in the day. So Rave Against the Machine was the short and Scream for Me Sarajevo is this film. It's on Blu-ray and uh, it's really, really, really good and it's powerful and you forget what a what a cagey moment that was in European history, recent yeah. European history. So we, we got through it, but man, what a what a 
What a cool, defiant kind of punk spirit thing that is. Also got some classical stuff from uh, Naxos, three from Naxos proper, and then one from uh, Bel Air Classique, which is a line that they represent. Uh, this is uh, Mozart's Lucio Silla, which is a, uh, a musical drama in three acts. And, uh, you know, basically kind of an opera. This is uh, performed by the orchestra and chorus of the Teatro Real de Madrid. Um, the Mozart music is wonderful. I'm, I can't speak much to the, the dramatic performance of it. Uh, doesn't didn't really do much for me, but the music, of course, is great. And then the, uh, the three proper Naxos titles are uh, Berlioz, uh, Benvenuto Cellini, which it would be, and this is performed by the Rotterdam Philharmonic Orchestra and Sir Mark Elder, which would otherwise be, you know, sort of whatever. It's a, it's a Berlioz opera. That's fine. Uh, except that, you know who directed it? Yeah. Terry Gilliam. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, well, Terry. I didn't know Terry Gilliam was directing operas. Yeah. You know you what? Can... It would give him a chance to do the thing that Terry really likes to do, which is to build stuff. Yeah. You know, that's what Terry always did in Brazil. And yeah, what, you know, I, at a certain point, you get to be a certain age and you don't mm. want to sit on a film set all day, every and, day. And, and look at a green screen with tennis balls and all yeah, that. Yeah. So, you, you know, an opera kind of might scratch the itch. Yeah. And then uh, Nicolo. Homeli or Yomeli, Yomeli, I guess it's pronounced, uh, and the Oper Stuttgart performance of Il Volegeso. I am not familiar with the composer. I am not familiar with the opera, but it's really kind of crazy and funky and wild, and I didn't really follow the story. This is an opera in three acts, uh, but uh, it's, it, I mean, the music, I could kind of take it or leave it, but it's uh, its really quite an impressive uh, staging. It's all about the story of the uh, the, the Queen of Armenia, Mm. Uh, and uh, it's very interesting, dramatically, very, very interesting. The other one is a Respighi opera, uh, La Campagna Sommersa. Uh, this is performed by the uh, Teatro Lirica di Cagliari. Oi. Oi. The rest of the rest of the day, I'm going to have an easier time pronouncing these things. Anyway, performed in uh, 2016. Also a lovely, lovely performance. I'm a big fan of Respighi. I think Respighi's music is really amazing. This is considered his, uh, his greatest opera. I had never seen it. It's really mystical and fantastical, and the direction is great, and the costumes are amazing, and the music is just fantastic. Uh, Respighi wrote really, really great music, and uh, I love it. So now to some anime. Got a lot of interesting stuff here, primarily from uh, Section 23 and uh, the Sente Library, but not exclusively from Sente Library. From Maiden Japan is A Spirit of the Sun, which is this really, really interesting uh, two-part television special directed by Masayuki Kojima, uh, who some people may best know for uh, Made in Abyss and Black Bullet. Uh, anyway, the, um, uh, this is a, this is like the, uh, the, the perfect storm of disasters in Japan. You know, everything in Japanese anime is all about what disasters may happen in Japan. Everything in Japanese cinema is about what horrible things may happen to us. It's a, it's a post-World War II anxiety that finds its way in all of this stuff. And, uh, in this one, there's a huge earthquake and Mount Fuji erupts all at the same time. Yeah. And it, it literally rips Japan, uh, in half and, uh... This is now about the geopolitical aftermath of that. There's, you know, China comes in, takes advantage, and occupies half. The United States occupies the other half. It's a, it's a, it, it's preposterous, obviously in every way, but it's not meant to be taken literally. You're supposed to look at this as a sort of representation of Japanese anxieties, and the uh, the animation is superb, and the storytelling is fascinating, and what it says about certain 
issues in the contemporary psyche of Japan. It's really, really interesting. So that is called uh, A Spirit of the Sun. It's really, really, really good. Uh, we also have Love and Lies, complete correction, uh, complete collection from Sente. Uh, this is, you know, more high school politics, the, the usual Japanese anime obsession. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it's a little, it's a little soapy, a uh, couple of kids, a little teenage romance stuff. And then uh, it gets into some weird tangents where there's like some spy action and stuff that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, not my thing necessarily, but I'm sure some people will dig to it. Love and Lies. Uh, let's see. Uh, Magic of Stella is sort of standard uh, young skewing Japanese anime. Uh, more high school politics. More kind of, you know, like mean girls politics. It's very cute and bubbly, and the girls are cute and bubbly with their little uh, uniforms, <laughs> and it, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, it does. It's nothing. It's nothing particularly challenging. It's kind of it skews young, and it, it's fine. Uh, Initial D, uh, Legend uh, Dream, Legend Three Dream, uh, Blu-ray and DVD combo set. Uh, you know, it's not as great as Speed Racer. Better animation. I'm not really into the into the whole Initial D thing, but you know, there's there's more of that for for those who really love the uh, the speedy the speedy stuff. Uh, Grimoire of Zero, G-R-I-M-O-I-R-E, Grimoire of Zero. This is 12 episodes on two discs uh, from Sente, and uh, this is this is all right, man. This is cool. Uh, this, is a, uh, this takes place in a kind of a mythical world. You have to sort of get used to the rules and the parameters of this particular mythical world, um, but it's all about the, the searching for a missing mystical book called the Grimoire of Zero, and uh, it's, it's about, you know, which, you know, you've got witches, and you've got seekers, and all the usual kind of Joseph Campbell stuff going on, and uh, part of this, this search for this, um, this, this mystical book, and all the magic that will, uh, will ensue, and it's, you know, it takes a, it takes a little bit of absorbing, but it's all quite well done, and very, very nicely animated. Uh, the last three, include Bang Dream uh, complete collection. Bang Dream is more, this is like, you know what this is? This is like a Japanese version of Josie and the Pussycats. That's the <laughs> only thing I can say. Uh, it's just, it's young girls in high school and wanting to be rock stars. And, uh, you know, that's basically it. Uh, there's just nothing else to it. The music's cute. The animation's fine. The girls are adorable. Uh, what do you want? Another great one from Made in Japan is uh, the Tibetan Dog, which is uh, from the same people who did all uh, more of the people who did Black Bullet. Uh, the um, the story here is about this kid. His mom's died, and he's you know uh, now being raised by his dad, and he's a, he's working as a shepherd, and develops this friendship with this um, this golden mastiff. And um, it's it's kind of a kid and his dog story, but it's really really nicely done. And it's just very very sunny and great animation, especially the dog. And um, it, it you know the fact that it takes place in Tibet is a, is sort of a novel thing as well. So that was that was quite enjoyable. And then if you are a fan of Garo, we have Gar- uh, the Garo special Beast of the Demon Knight, which is a live action version of the uh, the Garo thing, which actually feels like a Slightly better than usual um, Power Rangers movie, uh, but it's it still feels very Power Rangery. It's good, it's well done, but it's it's very it's very Power Rangery. 
And, uh, you know, I, I somehow this stuff feels like uh, it should be. It, 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 maybe they should have stuck with the animation on this one. Anyway, that's the uh, Garo television special, Beast of the Demon Knight. And uh, now, Tim, let's move on to some new movies. Uh, new movies. <clears throat> the biggest uh, new movie, uh, I don't know, whatever, recent days, was this uh, Emily Blunt, John Krasinski uh, horror film, uh, actual husband and wife yeah. there, The Quiet, A, a Quiet Place. Man, I, was this, I didn't see it. Is I happened the... to be on the radio for this. Oh, my And goodness. I saw it for the radio. And, and you know, I'm sitting there watching the, uh, you know, the, the screening of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I could tell everybody was going nuts for it. I'm watching this movie, and I'm thinking to myself, this is just the dumbest movie I've ever seen, ever. But I could tell it was going to be one of those movies where yeah. people just decided they didn't care. Yeah. Uh, how stupid this movie is. And, I, and to be frank with you, I knew it was a dumb movie from before I went to see it because I, I, I was watching the trailer, and, I, and, I, and a moronic thing happens in the trailer. So I can, I can speak to that thing without ruining the movie for people who yeah. haven't seen it yet. And it's certified fresh. It's a big old hit. Everybody loves it, so it doesn't really make any difference what I say. But here's the thing. You live on a planet uh, that's been invaded by giant ear monsters. That uh, ear. Uh, ear, ears, our ears. They hear uh, noises, and when they hear a noise, they attack and kill and eat the thing that made the noise. <clears throat> because that's all they really are, are big freaking ears with teeth. Okay. Uh, and um, and you have to be quiet, a quiet place. Oh dear! And and the way the movie begins, this happened three or four years ago, and and, and the Earth has been inundated by these creatures, and and everyone has sort of acclimated themselves yeah. to being real quiet. So what does John do with the family? He takes the family out for a little walk. Oh, good grief! And while he's walking with the family, where does he put the little bitty baby boy? The baby boy, the little boy. He's way back there way back there playing with his little toys it's just and john is walking around this is this is in the world inundated by the giant monsters who will eat you if you make any noise and when his son makes a noise because he's a child and the giant monster is and he has you see it's, it's all in the trailer i'm not ruining anything and he has, i'm thinking to myself well john here's a here's a thought a leave the family at home uh, because you know what, that kid's gonna make some noise. I'm almost certain about it. But for whatever reason, if you got to take the family with you, oh you probably want to keep the little noisy one with you. And and everything that happens in this movie is just one thing after another of these people doing the dumbest things you could pos- possibly do if you're in the circumstance that they happen to be in. Um, they got stuff on walls that the kid can climb up and yeah. pull down. And he's got to catch the kid. So no, don't do anyway. I'm over myself. Everybody loves this movie. Uh, as a matter of fact, it says right here, a masterpiece that will scare uh, generations. Say, I don't know, somebody thinks that, not me. Um, it is a 4K <laughs> Ultra HD movie with all kinds of wonderful special effects on it. If you've already seen it and you know you like it, you know, just go ahead and enjoy the rest oh of it. Gosh. I, I hate that stupid movie. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> how I, I, always, I hate it when I find myself in yeah. direct opposition. To, to movies to everybody else, you know, because you just feel like you're an outlier there, but what the hell are you going to do? Um, uh, this is a neat little movie called Zen Dog by a guy named Rick Darge. Rick Darge, D-A-R-G-E. is a cinematographer, mostly. Uh, if you look him up, you'll see that he's been a cinematographer on many, many things that you have watched and enjoyed, and he's directed a few movies, including uh, this little indie film. His films are, can be sort of interesting. They're a little bit esoteric. Uh, and uh, mostly about people uh, seeking some sort of meaning in life. Uh, that's what this one's about. It's a guy who takes himself on a sort of a cross-country trip, a sort of an imaginary cross-country trip, a sort of a daydream, hallucinogenic 
cross-country trip in a in a Volkswagen, a sort of psychedelic Volkswagen. And it's uh, you know, it's 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 one of those sort of you, you feel like it's a, a sort of film that might have been made in the '60s or something like that. He's one of those kind of guys, yeah. you know, kind of floaty and whatnot. Commentary track with the director and the actors on the film. And you know, if you're into this kind of thing, it can be a lot of fun. It's a nice floaty little film, but you know. Got to be into it. So I don't want to be a jerk about this, but there's a movie called Keep the Change from mm. Kino Lorberts on Blu-ray. Uh, this actually won the top award uh, at the Tribeca Film Festival. And I let me be on the record. I really admire the film. Uh, it's directed by Rachel Israel, and it, uh, it indulges in a very unusual conceit. Again, the film's called Keep the Change. However, I don't I don't think it works very well, and I think I don't think it works very well because the conceit that makes it so brave is also I don't want to say it fails, but it's somewhat anti dramatic. Mm. Uh, this is a uh, here I am. I'm going to sound like a jerk, but this is a <laughs> it is it's a it's a love story between two people who have autism, mm. and uh, the the device here I don't want to call it a gimmick because it's not. The, no. This was very intentionally, and this does happen. This does happen. The the both actors in the movie are do, are actually people who are on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So the that does give it a certain authenticity and verisimilitude. And I, my sense is also that it's not necessarily scripted in many respects. This is sort of fly on the wall stuff and Im, somewhat improvised and written to some degree for these particular characters. At the same time, as for a romantic comedy, which mm-hmm. is what this aspires to be, it, it because of that, it is somewhat inaccessible. Mm-hmm. So it is. I felt almost anthropological in watching this, uh, as opposed to being involved and engaged in, 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 in a piece of art, a cinema, yeah. anyway. And I got to thinking, okay, what if they had done it the other way? What if you do the usual thing and you get some, you know, actors who are not on the spectrum and you cast them? Uh, would it have felt fake? Would it have felt exploitive? Would it uh, have would it have worked? And I got to thinking about that TV movie from many many years ago, and you'll remember this—a different kind of love or whatever mm, it was called with yeah, Sean Cassidy yeah, and Linda Pearl, yeah. who played two people with with Down syndrome, yeah. and they fell in love. And I all I could think of were the commercials where Sean Cassidy says, "I want to marry her, Dad." Yeah, and it, I just thought that's horrible. Yeah, that's terrible. And we don't really live there anymore. And of course, no. we had Corky on uh, Life, yeah, uh, on, on uh, uh, the television yeah. series that ran yeah. for many years. Who was a, on, you know, on the spectrum. Itself. Was it It's Life? Or it's life, something like life, that. Yeah. Life Happens. Life, life Happens. Yeah, yeah Life Happens, I think. It's, it's okay. a, and, uh, yeah, so there's a thing. So I, I don't know I don't know what to say about this in that sense. I, I admire that they that she went to uh, that particular place and said, I'm going to make a movie about, you know, autistic romance, and I'm going to cast uh, people who have autism. I think that's admirable. I think it's really admirable. But at the same time, you really have to make an effort to be engaged by the film. Uh, it just it doesn't. And work. what's what's odd is if if it were actually a doc. Yep. You know, say this happened, these two people, and yeah. she fly it on the wall, it, yeah. then it would be a deeply penetrating and moving movie Might because be. there would be no performance in it. I'm, I, you know, you can tell I'm still struggling with it, and I don't have a problem with that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of wrestling with it, whether or not it's a, it's a failed mm. experiment or whether or not it's not a failure. It's just a, a noble experiment. I, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, there it is. It's called uh, Keep the Change. Yeah. And uh, let me just hit this one out of the park a little bit, too. Uh, from Scream Factory is The Cured with uh, Ellen Page and Sam Keeley. Um, it's more zombie stuff. You know, we're, I'm getting a little bit tired of everybody really, really going to extreme ends to try to find new angles, new ways of entering the, uh, the zombie thing. 
Uh, and it is the this is the new zombie thing, right? It's not dead coming back to life. This is the whole virus thing that we've yeah. been living with. World for War Z type zombies. All that stuff. Twenty eight days later, yes. So there's a virus turns people into zombies. They go around eating each other. And slow uh, zombies or fast zombies. That's that's uh, the well, only that's the only differential nowadays with zombies. Yeah, World it, War Z were fast zombies. These aren't really fast zombies. They're sort of uh, angsty existential zombies. <laughs> I guess. Um, <sighs> you know, uh, because because people like become unafflicted here, and that's part of the thing is is that you know uh, there's a there's actually finally a cure, and people who who have de-zombied mm. now find themselves regretful over the things they did when they were zombies. Yeah. It's 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 like, oh, really? Yeah. Okay, you know, I'm gonna have a kid. I, I used to be a zombie and um <laughs> I'm over it now. I'm in a twelve step program. Yeah, I ate my and, cousin. Uh, and I ate my cousin. I feel really bad about it and I have been having nightmares. You know, it's that kind of anyway, I mean it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting novel take. I, I don't think it works terribly well, but it's got Ellen Page in it. And anytime Ellen Page is in a movie, I, I think that's great. Yeah, so yeah. you know I can I can sort of cling to Ellen Page and get through it and uh think of it is that movie to how is, good of an actress uh, she is uh, you know it's a horror movie but it's a dramatic horror movie yeah, and yeah. it should have been a comedic horror movie <laughs> there you go. gonna do that shawn yeah. of the dead it yeah i hear you that's the way you do it yep yeah uh yeah you want to knock off a couple of these hit them uh chappaquiddick um uh, jason clark kate mara ed helm bruce dern in a film that explores uh teddy kennedy's um uh the, the period during which teddy kennedy's yeah. uh accident chappaquiddick happened uh, during which um, a young woman was killed. Jason Clark yeah. playing Teddy Kennedy. And he looks like Teddy Kennedy. That's yeah, the thing. That's I mean, a, that, that's yeah. And this is a very well movie, very well performed. Uh, that's absolutely true about this movie. Um, uh, the, the thing that bugged me about this movie had to do with the perspective, the point of view, the understanding of this moment uh, by the filmmakers. That I think the filmmakers had a flawed understanding of the moment. Now, I get it. This movie is called Chappaquiddick, and, and the central figure in the context of the movie is Teddy Kennedy and all of the people around him. Sure. This is right after uh, the death of not, – well, not long after the death of um, – of John, yeah, uh, and uh, and a lot of pressure was on him. It was he going to run for the presidency? Uh, yeah, the, the stuff with his father and all this kind of stuff. And then he, this this whole moment happens. What this movie is concerned with deeply, though, is how Teddy Kennedy felt. Uh, what it must have been like for Teddy Kennedy. I mean, it gets e even into a, a bit of a poor Teddy Kennedy sort of yeah. mode there for a while. And and yes, it does um, uh, deal with the ideas of his angst and, and sort of his brittleness and the way he was sort of self-serving. It, it, it speaks to some of that, but mostly it's thinking about Teddy Kennedy. And I'm not thinking about Teddy Kennedy. I'm thinking about Mary Jo. That's who I'm thinking about. Yeah. I'm thinking about Mary Jo's mom. I'm yeah. thinking about Mary Joe's dad. I'm thinking yeah. about I'm thinking about everything that's not going to happen in Mary Joe's life. I know what happens in his life. He lives a venerable life, gets called the lion yeah. of the Senate, dies, you know, 50, 60 years later yeah. with Barack Obama at his funeral. He does okay. Um, yeah. And and I and I got a knot in my stomach even right now about Mary Joe. So so you know I don't know. There's not enough of this movie that is about about what happened to Mary Joe. Too much of it is concerned with Teddy Kennedy. But I get it. He's the historical figure. Chappaquiddick on um, on on uh, Blu-ray and DVD. A little bit on it. Special features, reckoning and revisiting of Chappaquiddick. A uh, bridge to the past. The editing of the film. But even even in that, they don't really go there. I, you yeah. know, th there are people who can simply who have simply rose above yeah. uh, the actual action of their life. Now, Teddy, don't get me wrong, I don't hate Teddy Kennedy. 
He did a lot uh, to redeem himself. Yeah. But you know what? You actually can't redeem yourself from what you did, Teddy. You yeah. didn't succeed at redeeming yourself. You worked hard at trying, and for that I respect you. Yeah. But you still failed. This movie don't know that. Uh, and then we got Finding Your Feet on DVD, not on Blu-ray, with a lovely, lovely cast. Imelda Staunton, uh, Timothy Spall, Celia Emery, David Heyman, Joanna Lumley. It's a great bunch yeah. of British Joanna actors. Lumley. you got to love them all. Yeah. They're wonderful. And Imelda Staunton is just so wonderful in the middle of this, as is Timothy Spall. This is one of those um, best exotic marigold hotel type movies where a, a bunch of aging British actors who want to prove <laughs> that they can still be as vivacious and vigorous as everyone else, uh, they do one of those late life romance things. And um, it's fine. Uh, I, again, I love Imelda Staunton. You know, the, the whole idea is that Imelda Staunton has been the faithful wife of this very distinguished. Uh, British figure in in politics and society and finds out that he's been having an affair uh, with her best friend, no less. So yeah. she, you know, bails on him and jumps right back into the scene and discovers a, a life outside of high society and aristocracy. And, yeah. and, you know, she discovers, of all people, Timothy Paul. And I got to tell you, he looks fantastic. Fantastic in this movie. Does, but my goodness, it goes to a schmaltzy place. Oh, it's it, it, it's you know, but like yeah. you said, best marigold and and yeah. all of those. Some of, of them those. work and some of them don't. But you know, and I, I'll go. I'll take you all the way back to um, what was it? Uh, April something about April. Oh, uh, Enchanted April. Enchanted April, which is still the best of all those. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's yeah. it's you know, so yeah, you go. Anyway, directed by Richard Lon Crane, who of course was a big deal in the eighties, and uh, he still got it. Uh, it's a sweet film, but my goodness, it's small, it's schmaltzy and predictable. But whatever. Uh, what are you going to do? Lean on Pete. Uh, this was a film that I rather like. Steve Buscemi uh, and uh, Chloe Sevigny in this movie. Uh, and, 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 and this young man, um, uh, Charlie Plummer, who also played uh, the young uh, kidnapped guy in yep. All the Money in the World uh, yeah. the, uh, of, the, um, of the family there, the guy where he got kidnapped. So a really interesting movie. This movie is very slow. Uh, not exactly turgid, I don't think, but yeah. um, because you know things happen in it, but it's a very slow movie. Pete is a horse. Young man. Uh, he has this father who's just a loser. Not a bad guy, but a loser. Uh, and he's just this fragile young man, and a thing happens, and he has to, he has to take care of himself. Um, he, he meets this guy, uh, Steve Buscemi, who has these horses, old-ass horses that he still races, makes us a few, buck, few bucks every now and again. But generally speaking, what he's mostly doing is uh, uh, sending those horses off to the glue factory down there in Mexico. Uh, and this boy sort of falls in love with this particular horse named Pete, and he kidnaps this horse, and he's going to try to take this horse and ride this horse halfway across the country to his auntie's house uh, to ho and hope that his auntie will remember him. Uh, and uh, and uh, and be willing to take care of him, uh, and that's all we're really doing. We're with this boy and this horse on this long uh, trip uh, uh, across rugged country, as he's kind of hiding from the police and, and and other folks and trying to get to his auntie. And he's talking to this horse. And I swear to God, this movie just about broke my heart uh, in every possible way. But you got to be you got to be ready to sit there and watch a long, slow, yeah. deeply meditative movie. Uh, 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 There's room uh, for that. About it, yeah, I think so. And you know, and if you, if you're willing to, you're really going to find yourself in a lovely movie. Lean on Pete. Um, not a lot on here. Special feature: Searching for Home, The Making of Lean on Pete. Uh, Paul, Apostle of Christ, was is a, yet another one of the. You know, we've we've had a. a, a there's been a, an undertow of uh, biblical movies in the last few years, kind of ever since uh, Mel Gibson launched 
the subgenre, uh, as one might call it. This is written and directed by Andrew Hyatt. It is mainly based on biblical moment when the Apostle Paul was aging and a prisoner of uh, the Emperor Nero and being routinely visited by uh, Luke, who, of course, wrote the Gospel of Luke and was a physician. Uh, Jim Caviezel plays Luke. James Faulkner plays Paul. Olivier Martinez, the French actor, plays a Roman centurion who is sort of in... You know, he's the one whose faith may or may not be uh, mm. swayed by this uh, this figure that he's supposed to be uh, overseeing the incarceration of. Anyway, uh, there there's a lot of interesting history here. It's not overly evangelical, and I don't mean that in the terms of, uh, I mean, the in the true word, uh, that it doesn't overly evangelize anything. It is really trying to be much more a sort of... Uh, historical representation with a, a smattering of, of faith content. So mm-hmm. it's not going to beat you over the head with anything. But um, it's also not terribly well done, I've got to be honest. Interesting uh, that Jim Caviezel is in it. Jim, Jim, Jim kind of Well, he's keeps, a devout Catholic, he keeps, and he keeps, keeps... popping up, yeah. Yeah, he, he cares about these things. Uh, Andrew Hyatt wrote and directed it. The screenplay isn't bad. Uh, the direction is really kind of lackluster and a little bit sloppy, and that prevents it from having that classic feel that you just want it to have. You want to feel something, you know, biblically epic, and it doesn't really ever rise to that. What really keeps it going, to be honest, is James Faulkner, who is a great British actor. Some people might remember him from Downton Abbey. He had he played a, a, a Jewish industrialist, and there was a whole, you know, ethnic uh, conflict around that and the possible intermarriage of two families, and he's an amazing performer. And he just, he owns this movie, and you mm. just keep wishing that the movie would rise to the level of his performance, but it doesn't. So I, it's, it's fine, it's okay. If the, con- if the subject matter interests you, it's, it's uh, to be recommended, but uh, I just wish it were better. Mm. Interesting. Uh, Midnight, Midnight Sun, this is a sweet little movie, Bella Thorne uh, in this movie, and it's just, it's just ridiculously ro- romantic and, and only loosely possible, I suppose. Patrick Schwarzenegger all in the film. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a very handsome and ridiculously lucky son um, uh, with Maria Shriver. So uh, this is about a young woman who uh, can't go out in the sun during the day. She spends all of her days at home, uh, sort of locked in her house, and can only go outside. She has a rare disease, and you know, going out in the sun would be killer. That's a real thing, by the way, that actually, that actually exists. She meets uh, a handsome young man, again, played by Patrick Schwarzenegger, named Charlie. Uh, and uh, he has been nuts about her forever, sort of watching her from afar, and he, he decides to, uh, you know, to, to, to give it a shot. And it's about their whole little summer romance. It's a sweet, sweet movie, kind of in the vein of those sort of, uh, oh, the, 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 the fellow that's movies, The Notebook and all of those kind of movies, that guy, kind of in the yeah. vein of that stuff, only not him. Uh, and uh, it's a sweet little movie. Check it out if you get a chance. Midnight Sun. All right, got a, got three genre things here, and they are uh, they're all I guess perfectly fine. Uh, don't grow up. Has <laughs> some of these movies. Uh, don't grow up's on Blu-ray, and uh, this is yet another. This is like a zombie movie and a post-apocalyptic movie all kind of rolled into one. It's it's well done. It's perfectly fine. Uh, it's it moves got pretty some, quick. It moves okay. Yeah, it's it moves fine. Uh, if you're a genre fan, you'll you'll dig it. And it's a, it's a bunch of kids who just have a you know they go partying and then uh, when they skedaddle and wind up you know in the in this little town, they discover that the world's been destroyed and people are zombies. Yeah, you know what's good about it? It's 81 minutes long <laughs> with the title, <laughs> which means it's like 75 minutes long. Yeah, it's fair enough. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. I'll do anything for 75 minutes. <laughs> so knock uh, yourself out with that. We have a wolf cop sequel <laughs> called Another Wolf Cop with the greatest tagline. Dirtier, yeah, hairier. 
That's it. Just dirtier and hairier. Uh, I don't. I, I love the notion of another wolf cop because yeah. you know it implies a previous wolf cop. I just don't know why uh, Kevin Smith keeps. He's, he's like the what he's else the, cameo, he he's the cameo king now. He what shows up in all this stuff, yeah, yeah. and that's what you know. We we talked about this. There, there's an episode of this last season of The Flash <laughs> yeah. where Kevin Smith and what's his face show <laughs> up. Hair, and yeah. yeah, it's like you know, really, we have Clerks cameos on The Flash, but right they now? have insinuated themselves now into. Th- they're from our generation. Yeah. They have insinuated themselves into three genu- generations of yeah. young people. Yeah, there are there there are twenty one and twenty year olds so who know who they are and identify with them as those characters. And I'm like, that's almost kind of brilliant. Yeah, if you if you, if you figure out a way to do that, you know, God knows yeah. I didn't do it. Yeah. You know what's good about Wolf Cop? Yeah, thirty two minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> There it is. It's another wolf cop. I really don't know why I need to use a, a <laughs> summation to that. Future World. Tim, did you see Future World? I did not. Okay, I don't know, know how James... I, it's, 80, <laughs> it's 82 minutes long. 88, actually. 88 minutes long. It's true. That's true. Oh, it's, it's under 80 minutes. Keep it under 90, baby, and I'm, I'm with oh, you. Oh, gosh. This is another post-apocalyptic thing, and you look at this and you go, how is there room for all these post-apocalyptic movies? It's James movies? Franco, dude. Then you James go, wait, James Franco. Franco. James, James, didn't you make 18 movies last year? When did you <sighs> have time to even make this? You know what? This might be one of those ones where he got, got, got a little bit in trouble on because he was a little loosey-goosey with the ladies. Oh, I think James. this might, might be one of those. Well, it's uh, James Franco. Oh, yep, it's definitely one of those. I recognize yeah. the name. Yeah. <laughs> so James Franco, Lucy Liu, and Mila Jovovich. And Snoop Dogg, dude. You and have to Snoop. Method Man, dude. It's just, it's just, it's just uh, yeah. There's well, something anyway. about that about him. Yeah. And you and I disagree about him. There's something about that about him that has mm-hmm. always intrigued me and, and that I've always found a bit of fun. He'll do a daytime soap opera. Mm-hmm. He, he will adapt Faulkner. Yeah. Because he actually read the Faulkner. Yeah. Uh, and then he'll do something as perfectly asinine uh, as this. Well, this is this is like a like a dirty second tier Mad Max kind of thing. And uh, you know, if you're watching this, you're not watching it because it's good. You're watching it just because it's got all the aforementioned in it. Yeah, yeah. It's really really bad. There's a whole bunch of people. <laughs> been really, there's even a character called Ash, which is a direct reference to Evil Dead. Yeah. Uh, right. Which you know, anyway, whatever. But I and I and I I, I rag on that movie even as I I pick up. He's back, Escape Plan 2. Two. <laughs> With Stallone yeah. and Batusta because he couldn't yeah. get Arnold to come out and do another one. Uh, I like that. So, you know, I, it's kind of weird uh, to be to be stabbing James Franco in the neck while I'm holding this movie in my hand. Uh, with Stallone, an Academy Award winner himself, by the way. Those those boys uh, yeah. both did that. Anyway, uh, uh, this this is just a whack, another one of those wacky movies with Stallone in prison, blah blah blah, and all whatever. Lots of special features. Uh, Escape Plan Two, Hades, building the robot <laughs> of Escape Plan Two. Uh, well, they built it with CGI. That's how they built it. Yeah, so, you know, that's a couple of things they did. Whatever. All right, so we got a few. Uh, Brit- we got some TV here, real quickly. Uh, a few things uh, from British TV that came in uh, following last week's stuff. We've got uh, the complete fifth season of the masterpiece mystery series Endeavor. That's Endeavor O U R, uh, with uh, Sean Evans and Roger Allen, which is a, a really terrific show. It takes place, of course, if you if you don't know, it takes place in nineteen uh, late nineteen sixties. This is now the beginning of nineteen sixty eight in the uh, in this fifth season. And uh, the it's all it's all about you know it's a it's a detective show but yeah. it's a detective show with the the sixties vibe to it yeah. so it feels like a realistic 
it lives in the same world as the Avengers and all those old cool shows. Kind of pop, but 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 that's serious. It. But pop, serious. That's it. Yeah. Pop, but serious. It's a perfect way to put it. Uh, all at the uh, the Cowley Police Station, and uh, you know what? It, what I like about it is the thing that you get when you do period stuff. Mad Men being one of those as well, which is that when you strip away all the modern day technological stuff. When your detectives can't use cell phones and can't use computers and can't use uh, CSI and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, it feels a little more real. It, and feels- become, it becomes a, a gumshoe show. The, the, yeah. the, the ones we grew up watching, I think I, think I, I think I called you the other day where I was chit-chatting. I was watching The Rockford Files. Yeah. And, and, and The Rockford was not that long ago. I mean, I think it maybe starts in the late 70s and sort of runs through the early 80s, right? Yep. So pre-cell phone, pre-all of that. And Jim Rockford actually has to make phone calls and open a phone book. That's right. And go and ask people things. That's right. He even goes to the library in an episode of the Rockford Files, which is just astounding to me. You never see that stuff anymore. Yep. Uh, Then we have uh, Series 2 from Acorn TV of Delicious, starring Don French and Amelia Fox. And, uh, you know, this is the story of two women uh, after, you know, uh, who, who basically are running a hotel now, and uh, it all happened, you know, after the, uh, after the passing of Ian Glenn, who played the, um, the, the, the chef, uh, and there's a, there's, a, there's a whole drama that goes into that. If you didn't see Series 1, I won't get into it. Uh, but in any case, this is uh, just the ongoing drama of trying to run the hotel. Dawn French looks terrific. She's lost a lot of weight, by the way, folks, mm. and she looks great, and she's always wonderful, and I love Dawn French. And uh, Amelia Fox is great, too. Uh, so anyway, there's, uh, there's a whole lot of you know, stuff that's going on with the hotel now, and you know, the police are looking into a thing, and you know, the, the, the things may not be going quite so well. It's, you know, it's a little bit of a soap opera, but it's still really, really well done. It's quite good. And uh, then the legal drama Striking Out, uh, also from Acorn TV, is now also in its second season. Uh, this is an Irish show, and, uh, you know, I think the, the only thing that is a little bit of a struggle is that there are differences in some of the, the, the ways that the Irish legal system works versus uh, what you might be familiar to if you're in the United States. So, uh, you know, but a lot of the issues are the same. There are a lot of, you know, there, there, there's... Their divorce and there's you know uh, immigration issues and there are a lot of things here. So uh, it continues to be a really solid show with really really great acting and that's striking out series two. Mm. Uh, 1980s, the Martian Chron- Chronicles short yes. live series um, uh, here. Uh, I, I I rather enjoyed this back in 1980. This is one of those things that I actually remember from 1980. Um, a fantastic cast: Rock Hudson, Bernie Casey. Uh, Darren McGavin, Roddy McDowell, Bernadette Peters. I remember Trace watching this the first time it was shown. I was just, yeah, I, I, yeah. It, it, was, it was really interesting. And of course, it's in some ways probably uh, Ray Bradbury's uh, and Richard Matheson, of course, uh, yeah. wrote the, the, the second episode or another episode of it. Uh, one of his most um, extraordinary and visionary um, uh, stories uh, this was, and, and trying to bring it to the small screen was, was, was pretty amazing back, back in the day. Michael Anderson, of course, uh, was on Logan's Run. And, and, and Orca. I mean, it's just really, really a neat show. And this is later Rock Hudson, uh, not long before we lost Rock. Rock, I think we lost Rock maybe in 86, 87. Yeah. So it was just a few years before that. Yeah. But it really is just an absolutely intriguing 
intriguing sort of conception for a television program. Basically, uh, a probe is sent to Mars. Uh, there are Martians on Mars. Uh, there, there, there's some sort of internecine battles. Uh, one of the Martians gets angry when his wife has something of, of, of an erotic dream about meeting yeah. uh, these folks, and uh, and then he kills one of the astronauts. A second a second expedition is sent, and it sort of it's goes great. on from there. It's really, really intense stuff. I, the thing I remember really loving about this was that this was done right in the wake of the Viking explorer, the Viking uh, lander. When oh, yes, lander yes, 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 yes. And, you know, you wonder, well, wow, because I remember reading the Martian Chronicles when it was first written, and I thought, well, now that we know so much more about Mars, how are they going to... Uh, how are they going to sort of deal with that? And yeah. the great thing is, is they totally incorporate the Viking into the beginning. Yeah. They, they say, if only it had landed just a little bit further to the west. Or, you <laughs> They'd know, have found they, these marshes. They would have found, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I, good on you. It's, I, I'm not buying it, but at least you made the effort. So that's good. Oh, well. uh, one of the best Lifetime movies ever, and that's saying quite a bit, is I Am Elizabeth Smart. Um, Elizabeth Smart produced and also narrates this, and this is her story. Yeah. Um, and so she keeps a, a good handle on it so they don't become exploitative with it. Alana Bowden plays Elizabeth Smart in this, and it tells straight up the, the story exactly as it happened. Uh, and it's really, really very well done. Skeet Ulrich uh, plays the, uh, the, the psycho Brian David Mitchell who kidnapped her incredibly well. It's a great character part for him. And hopefully he makes uh, something of a comeback with this. And uh, Deirdre Lovejoy plays Wanda Barzi, his uh, his wife and accomplice. Anyway, um, it's really well done, and it's like almost too good for Lifetime, frankly, to to be honest, because I think they went to Elizabeth Smart, and she, uh, you know, made sure that as having all the creative reins. That it, it went in the right direction. Yeah. And uh, it you know, reflected the reality as she knew it. It reflected the reality. I know people who were part of the search when she first disappeared, you know, who, who were running around looking for her. And, mm -hmm. and it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a shattering thing for those, uh, th that community up there. So, uh, anyway, I am Elizabeth Smart on DVD. Uh, we're going to try to knock off a few of these foreign films. Yeah, let's do foreign. If we have a little time. Yeah. I particularly want to talk about this Josephine Baker film because it was lost for a very, very long time. Only, uh, only showed They actually shot this movie. Uh, um, uh, the film is called The French Way. Um, and they shot this film in 1940 uh, while the city was being bombed. Uh, and, it's fan it, it, and it's really a wonderful film. Um, it... The, the narrative goes something like this. Uh, uh, there's this, uh, this fella who says that uh, his uh, mother uh, had an affair with Napoleon, and, he, and he's involved with this argument with this uh, biographer of Napoleon uh -huh. who insisted his mother did not have an affair with, uh, That's with Napoleon. So it goes back and forth. And, and, there's just, and he's in love with the guy's daughter. And there's this cabaret singer, of course, played by the extraordinary Josephine Baker named Zazu. Uh, because nice. she always had names like Zazu, and whenever she, she was in these movies, Josephine made a lot of movies uh, and and did a, a great many things. She was always absolutely entrancing and, and, and fantastic in them. Uh, on the back of the box here, it, it, it uh, quotes Pablo Picasso regarding Josephine Baker: "Tall, coffee-skinned, ebony eyes, legs of paradise, a smile to end all smiles." Wow. Pablo Picasso. And wow. you see, that's why he was slick and got all the ladies. <laughs> Pablo said stuff like that. I could never in a million yeah. years come up with something like that. This is a perfectly captivating film. And again, um, uh, only showed for uh, a little while in the United States. And even when it showed then, they had uh, shortened it by three or four minutes and cut out some of the more sexual stuff uh, in, in the movie. So this it's it completely restored. Uh, it is called Sabu. It's only 74 minutes long, black and white, uh, 1940, in French uh, with subtitles. 
And we've got a couple from the Milestone collection. Milestone just continues to do unbelievably great stuff. Uh, so the great Japanese director, Hirokazu Koreeda, recently won the Cannes Film Festival, a apparently yeah. a very, very deserved uh, honor for his long and distinguished career. And um, Milestone has now released, uh, in collaboration with Oscilloscope, a new Blu-ray of his very, very first film, Maborosi, which is a an absolutely delightful movie. This is from 1995, and um, it's really you know all of his movies are very meditative. They're very uh, they're incredibly heartfelt, but they're also deeply humanistic. And they have these dark edges that somehow never feel dark. You know, he, mm. there's always like hope behind the curtain in his movies, and uh, this is just uh, this is one of those. Um, Makiko Esumi plays a woman who suffered a tor horrible tragedy growing up and now suffers a tragedy as an adult. And uh, this is how she struggles to hold her family together in the wake of all of that. And uh, where it goes, you would never imagine. It's just, uh, it goes into directions that, that defy what you usually wind up with in, you know, anything stereotypical. Which is why Koreeda is such a great filmmaker. He knows how to take stories into directions that, that just don't seem logical and somehow they always feel right. Um, also from Milestone is Rocco and His Brothers, the classic Lucino Visconti movie. This is a new 4K restoration on Blu-ray and uh, wouldn't exist if, uh, if not for Martin Scorsese getting behind it. Um, the, you know, anything Visconti is, uh, is a must-see and uh, this is a wonderful, wonderful restoration. It is a tremendous story that uh, that just never gets old. This is a long movie. This is from 1960. And like most of these sort of epic sagas in 1960 on both sides of the Atlantic, this is three hours long. So get ready for it. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it is, it is uh, drawn from sort of all of these great epic European novels to tell this fascinating story. And uh, it's, it, it, it's inspired, you know, generations to, to tell these kinds of stories. It's really ex extraordinary. Uh, and on top of everything else, you get a Nino Rota score that is just one of his very, very best. And uh, everyone involved in this does absolutely sterling work. It, uh, it won an award at the 1960 Venice Film Festival. Rocco and his brothers, one of the very, very best films ever made by the great legendary Lucino Visconti. Mm. I have in my hand Ishmael's Ghost. <clears throat> now, it's, this is an interesting. I still haven't seen. Uh, and, and, and what's do weird I need is to? you do because okay. you, like me, uh, will be connected to these films all the way back to their genesis, which yeah. begins with my sex life, uh -huh. uh, 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 my sex life, or how I got into an argument. All right, so that's like 1996, and then there's a film. Those called are titles. Those, you're not these are titles. You're not yeah. bragging. I'm not bragging. No. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, 1996 film. Um, uh, Arnaud uh, Diplachin film, right? Yeah, okay, 1996. Yeah. Then, there's, then he makes a film. In, uh, uh, 19, I'm sorry, that's 19... No, that's 1996. Then in 2000, he makes Esther Khan. Esther yeah. Khan is related to, to the previous film. Then he makes uh, Kings and Queens in 2004. Then he makes My Golden Days in 2015. And then this film, uh, last year, 2016, Ishmael's Ghost. All of these films are related. Mm -hmm. And connected, they 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 all more or less are related to a character called Paul Detwitz, mm -hmm. and and in the in, in Paul's brother and Paul's brother-in-law, and and and, uh, and and in these very very complicated films that are all about Paul and and his loves and his life over many many years. All of these films, by the way, involve Matthew Almerick too. He's in all those films. He's going all the way back, and he plays different people in different films. But most of the time, he's playing either Paul Detwitz, and this one he's playing Ishmael. Ishmael. 
is a character that shows up in both My Golden Days and in Queens and Kings. And if you're paying attention, he's also mm. in My Sex Life. All right. And these through lines, this is all way more fun if you follow all the through lines all the way back from that original film. Uh, then it makes sense all by itself. Now, in this film, you have Marianne Cotillard, and she's in, it's a really, really interesting storyline. She, pl- she was married to Ishmael. She left 20 years ago and has been gone for 20 years. Ishmael has been an assistant uh, filmmaker and an assistant to her very, very famous filmmaker father. Uh, he was destroyed by the, the disappearance of his daughter and obviously Ishmael by the disappearance of his wife. And then suddenly in this film, she reappears. She's back in his life. Nice. That's a movie there. Okay. When you take that movie and you connect it to all of those other movies I just told you about, you're, you're, you find yourself, and what you can see now, what we can see now from hindsight, has really been this one big film that he's been making for the last 22 years. It's all just one big-ass movie. Yeah. And if you can, you want to put them all together and watch them all at the same time in order, and you'll find that you are having an absolutely fantastic experience. So it's almost like watching a television series that was made over 22 years. Uh, Ishmael's Ghosts. Outstanding. So we also have China Salesman from oh, wow. uh, the Chinese director Tan Bing. Now, I had to talk about this on Film Week, and... Uh, <laughs> tell you it's uh it's one of the worst films i've ever seen uh so here's the idea this is allegedly based on a true story involving cell phone sales in africa uh i really don't know how to make that sound any less ridiculous than it is uh there's a chinese company that's trying to get a contract somewhere in an presumably uganda even though nothing about where they are, it looks like Uganda. I mean, like it's it's clear. It looks more like Mauritania than Uganda. Anyway, uh, and they're trying to get the cell phone contract in the country, and uh, there's all kinds of co- corrupt stuff going on between the two. And then there's like a then there's like a things explode into a civil war in the country, and somehow for some reason you've got Steven Seagal, who's like an American guy that runs a bar there. And then you got Mike Tyson, who's some kind of angry tribal leader, and they contrive a battle between Steven Seagal and Mike Tyson early on, where Steven Seagal is clearly too fat to be involved in this, and and Mike Tyson's dialogue just sounds horrible. Like you can tell, Mike Tyson is trying to hit his marks. Yeah, he's not walking like he would normally mark. He's walking like I know the camera's there, and I'm going to walk very carefully (laughs) to hit my mark. Sit on bench. Yes. Right? He's like, he's so self conscious. I just want to cry. And what's terrible is, I've seen that one man show that he does. Yeah. He is absolutely wonderfully personable. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he's not engaged in this acting thing that he's doing, yeah. and, and, and all they needed to do was say, Mike, well, just be Mike. He's all, when you, when you see, uh, for example, Ip Man 2, yeah. which he is in, and has an amazing fight scene in which Sammo Hung choreographed, look, he, he kills it with the choreographed fight. Yeah. He knows how to do that stuff really well. I mean, he will, he will hit his mark. He's better doing the fight than l- walking. <laughs> like, if you give him direction and you throw a punch, this, that, and the other, he nails it. If you say, walk from the door to the bench and sit down, yeah. He's done. Yeah. If you give him dialogue, like no. his dialogue, I mean, no. I can't even, I can't even, there's no point in going into how ridiculous this is. No. But clearly, this is the way that a lot of Chinese movies are getting financed these days. Um, but this thing is losing a ton of money in China. 
And uh, it's apparently a well-known story in China, you know, the hero cell phone dude. But anyway, it's just truly ridiculous. And again, I'm just talking, we're just talking about Steven Seagal and Mike Tyson. And uh, that's not even the story. The story are these, it's all about how, you know, how the, the heroic Chinese guy saves the country and manages to secure the cell phone deal all at the same time. You got to wonder, what, what, does the, what did the posters look like in China? Who's on those posters? I mean, I, ma- I imagine Tyson and Well, the star, the, they the, star of the film is, is Dong Shu Li. And he's the big thing on the, on the, the box. On yeah, the I'm sure he's the big thing here. But, you know, uh, when, I, when I told Mar- I sent Mark an email about this, and Mark, here, we're going to let Mark have a moment on the podcast, too. Mark sent, a, a, <laughs> sent back a story. Uh, a friend of his had worked on a, on a Seagal film and said that there was literally, this is how fat Steven Seagal is now. Yeah. Uh, somebody said, okay, so you're going to walk through the door and you're going to go and you're going to sit down at the desk. And Steven Seagal said, I have a better idea. How about we start the scene and I'm already sitting at the <laughs> desk? <laughs> it's like, really? You just just, okay, uh, all right, fine. Just sit, sit, sit your butt down and uh, okay, whatever. Uh, you know, Sherman did a movie with him. The oh, really? Yeah, The Foreigner. It was a few years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was he was already he was already getting a little robust, and he insisted only uh, on only doing hand work, because you know Stephen Stephen was good. Yeah. First of all, that's yeah. that's not you know yeah. uh, hang him out to dry. Stephen was good, but he insisted because you know why? Because he couldn't lift his leg. Oh my god! Uh, Detective Bureau a two three go to hell bastards. Yeah. I love Suzuki. Sinjin Suzuki directed this 1963. So much fun. Um, the post-war period, uh, uh, the, the 20 years or so. Uh, after the war in Japan, uh, in Japanese cinema, was an absolutely fascinating period. Not only did you get those Godzilla films, which yeah. were all a commentary, yeah. uh, you know, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and all kinds of things. You got films like this, which were, were also uh, a sort of commentary on cultural colonialism and the sure. way that the uh, that the East was going so hardcore West. So these films yeah. are all referencing. Batman and That's James Su- Bond. Suzuki and, was, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, so much of it is about that. Yeah. And, 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 and it's, and it's kind of campy and kind of funny uh, and, and, and a little violent. And, uh, and, and there's commentary in here about just American and Western society. In the first place, even as these Japanese filmmakers and actors in Japanese culture is usurping all of these sort of American tropes uh, into their cinema. And it's just a fabulous thing to watch. Anyway. Uh, this is very good. Uh, check it out. It's uh, Detective Bureau Two Three. Go to hell, bastards! Exclamation point. So we have another le- from uh, Arrow, and that's from Arrow Video. Yeah, what? Yeah. To, yeah, that's from Arrow, and we have another Arrow uh, box set here, which is going to send spaghetti Western fans absolutely to heaven. This is unbelievable. This is the complete Sartana. Now, there are a lot of legendary figures in Spaghetti Westerns. Obviously, Man with No Name, the Clint Eastwood thing, J- Django, Ringo. There are a lot of them that are they're all part of this lore. Sartana may be less known here. Uh, Sartana is more intense and darker than any of the others. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, there, there are aspects to Sartana that are... Uh, borrowed from other genres as well, mm. and uh, you know he's uh, he plays cards and does interesting things with cards, and you know he's there's a there's a real mystical quality to the Sartana films. It's really really terrific, and uh, so this is the complete Sartana, five films in total, which uh, consist of if you meet Sartana, pray for your death, I am Sartana, your angel of death. Have a good funeral, my friend. Sartana will pay. That's the <laughs> title of the movie. Uh, and then lastly, light the fuse. Sartana is coming. And uh, and then you also have uh, Sartana's here. Trade your pistol for a coffin, uh, which has a which uh, is is a little bit silly. Um, I mean, they're all 
they all have moments where they verge on, on a silliness, but they all have moments that are really, really brilliant, too. So um, anyway, it comes with a booklet in a beautiful case and so many extras, it's impossible to go into them. There, there's stuff that uh, where you have people talk, where they, they situate them in the context of the spaghetti western movement, aesthetically and in terms of the culture that they represent. Uh, it's just they're all they've all been restored. The color is fantastic. They're absolutely absolutely gorgeous. Blu-rays all, uh, and there are fantastic interviews on here as well. Uh, it's just uh, if you're a spaghetti western fan, if you're a spaghetti western completist, and you just you you want something that represents the totality of the movement and the era, this is essential. This is just a wonderful, wonderful box set from uh, from Arrow Video. So bravo on them. Uh, you want to knock off that other box real yeah, quick? Yeah, yeah. Let me hit this one too. So uh, as good as that is, that is not the best box set this week. The best box set this week comes to us from, of course, Criterion. Yeah. Uh, it's like Criterion can do no wrong. This is this is just genius, and I'm I can't tell you, I, I could live with this for a, for a month. Um, this is Dietrich and von Sternberg in Hollywood, one of the greatest collaborations in movie history. Uh, Joseph von Sternberg and Marlena Dietrich. Uh, oddly enough, not the movies that they this this these are American movies. Uh-huh. You know, these are two German expats in Hollywood making some of the greatest films that either of them would ever have anything to do with. And uh, they're they all legendary movies. We have from 1930, Morocco. From 1931, Dishonored. 1932, The Incredible Shanghai Express. Uh, 1932, also Blonde Venus, that same year. Uh, maybe the best of all of them is The Scarlet Empress from 1934, and then The Devil is a Woman from 1935. Uh, it, it's an amazing period, uh, all compressed really uh, very tightly into just five years, and uh, this also includes a new documentary on Dietrich um, uh, and about the influence that she had on, uh, on feminism generally. There's also a 1936 Lux Radio adaptation of Morocco uh, that features Dietrich and Clark Gable. Uh, and then there's this amazing 1935 publicity short uh, featuring Dietrich and uh, Travis Banton, who was a great costume designer. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, it's just tons of stuff. There's a, an interview from television in 1971 with, a, with an aging Marlena Dietrich. It's, it's all really good. But again, the extras are not what you're getting this for. You're getting it for the movies, and the movies are tremendous, and the transfers are great, and uh, the Blu-rays are just, they, they're, they're pristine. They look absolutely great. So uh, Dietrich and von Sternberg in Hollywood, uh, you got to get it. Criterion Blu-rays. Um, I, I grabbed this one to do just for the heck of it. This is just another one of those little nostalgia films. For I me. know. One I know. good cop, Michael Keaton. Which, and I did the junket for this movie. And I, it's like this is like 1991, one of my early junket movies. And I just remember hanging out with Michael Keaton. Like all day, yeah. For some, I have no yeah. idea, but he and I just saw, and we had this little thing going, yeah. And uh, and I just, you know, I hung out with him all day on this movie. Uh, one good cop. Now, Haywood Gould, this guy who directed this movie, wrote and directed this movie. Now, Woody, uh, and, I, and I knew him too from way back in the day. He was a much older guy than me. Uh, yeah. But, you know, he kind of put me under his, uh, you know, his yeah. wing a little bit and taught me a whole lot of stuff. And Woody goes all the way back to Boys uh, from Brazil and Rolling Thunder. He wrote the screenplays for. Yeah. Worked on Equalizer. Remember oh, the TV wow. series yeah, Equalizer? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then years later, I meet this other guy, a friend of mine, Neil, Neil Cohen, who worked on e- – we interviewed Neil. Sure. Uh, who worked on Equalizer and, yeah. knows, and, knows, and wrote the screenplay for Cocktail, the Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. Uh, and eventually sort of, you know, 
know, Wheatley Lutz went into a situation where he could direct a movie, knocked off this movie, One Good Cop, starring Michael Keaton, which was a movie that I always liked. I just really liked it. Um, and uh, he, uh, you got, so anyway, audio commentary. You got director Haywood Gould uh, and, uh, and a few other people. And Anthony Lopaglia was in this movie. It was just one of those, one of those little movies that you could get made. Yeah. In the early '90s, you know, uh, yeah. when you learn stuff, I I, can, I cannot remember. I do not believe he was Batman yet. Yeah, when he made this movie, right? Had no, he was no. not Batman not yet. yet. Right? He was still no. coming off that whole comedy yep. thing. Yeah, and this was sort of like a cop movie, not a comedy uh, yeah. per se. You know, and th- it was a neat little movie, and he made this little transition there. One good cop, Michael Keaton. Uh, wonderful, wonderful release from Classic Flicks. Uh, is a uh, this is part of their Silver Series One, the complete Hal Roach comedy collection. Thelma Todd and Patsy Kelly. Uh, Thelma Todd and Patsy Kelly starred in 21 shorts from the 1930s, and uh, they're all absolutely wonderful. Now, here's the thing. Patsy Kelly, uh, probably less well-known than Thelma Todd, but both of them really talented, wonderful. um, And, you know, it was... was, This is all sort of what Hal Roach did. He paired people up. He, you know, he looked for the comedy combinations. I mean, he had a real knack for that. He was, uh, he was a great kind of mini mogul at the time. And um, w- the original shorts were Thelma Todd and Zezu Pitts, yeah. uh, who did a whole bunch of shorts in the early 30s. And then uh, he later uh, found Patsy Kelly and replaced Zezu with Patsy. And it was, it was even better. It was just wonderful. The, these are some of the funniest shorts from the period. And they are sort of with women, you know. Most of the shorts we think of male teams, and this mm-hmm. is really, really wonderful stuff. So uh, it, this was this is really a, trip, a terrific uh, artifact from the period. And here's the thing with Thelma Todd: uh, every single day, I drive by the building that was Thelma Todd's restaurant. Yeah. Every single day, yeah. same building. It's been there. It's protected. It's protected architecture. It's being remodeled again as we speak. It was uh, it was uh, owned by the Catholic Church for a very long time. They had uh, their their movie production company in there, and it's a new place in there now. Who knows what it is? But every day I drive by that, and I feel connected to Hollywood history. And if you don't know the story, Thelma Todd was, you know, dating. She had a restaurant, and she mm-hmm. was dating a gangster, mm-hmm. and she was also maybe seeing a certain co-star. And anyway, there was a whole thing that happened, and Thelma Todd wound up dead, and somebody else Age wound up 29, dead. 29, only 29 years old? Only 29. It's one of the famous Hollywood murder, maybe murder, maybe suicide uh, stories. You should look it up. Thelma Todd. It's a whole thing with the garage and the staircase and the car, and there's a whole thing that goes with it. It's a really amazing. And I have visited all those locations because they're all there walking distance from Thelma Todd and uh, from the, the old restaurant location. Uh, it's great. You drive by it every single day. And so it's wonderful to actually connect to the living Thelma Todd as well, watching these shorts. They are, uh, they're wonderful, and it's an early reminder that women could very often be funnier than men, mm-hmm. and, this, and this era doesn't often remind us, uh, doesn't remind us of that often enough. Yeah, yeah, yep, that was the case. Things were uh, different than one would think. Yeah. Director's Cut. This stars Penn Jillette. This was one of those crowd, crowd-funded movies. Oh dear! But it's got it's got Pendulette in it, and it's got Missy Pyle in it, and a few people, uh, and they pull together this thing. It's really about this guy who wants to be a director, and he, and he kidnaps the star of this movie played by Missy Pyle, so that he can. And you know, it's just it's just a big dumb stupid mess of a movie, uh, but it's kind of funny, uh, and 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 there are a few people in it that you don't get a chance to see very often. Uh, so 
if only for that you might take a look at this. It sort of lives in the vein of those old, oh, I don't know, Toxic Avenger movies and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you, you can kind of tell. It's got the a trauma. Got a yeah. trauma thing. Got yeah. a kind of trauma thing going on with it. A lot of bonus fe features on it too. So I don't know if you're a Pendulet fan, if you're a Missy Pyle fan, if you're a fan of this style of film, give it a go. Uh, we got some. Uh, we're probably gonna wrap out here. Twilight Time and some Warner Archive stuff. I'll uh, I'll hit the Twilight Time titles first. Uh, Twilight Time just keeps finding such interesting stuff. It's like every month I look forward to what is Kino, <laughs> Twilight Time, Olive, and Criterion. What are they gonna pick for any given month? Yeah. It's always a surprise, and it's always really really interesting. Those four companies. Um, so the first one here is a George Cougar-directed Marilyn Monroe movie called Let's Make Love. Uh, oh, I just saw it the other day on... It's so good, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, this is from 1960, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's exactly what you would think. It's, you know, it's got all the, the, the great talent involved that from the era in it. Jerry Wald produced it. Uh, written by Norman Krasna, you know, uh, I mean, George Cooker directed, Tony Randall is in it. It's just, it's absolutely a, a wonderful uh, musical comedy from the era, and it's just a straight-up musical comedy. Yves Montand playing this billionaire is just absolutely perfect. It's just a perfect stereotype. You get great cameos. I won't even tell you who the cameos are from. Uh, the cameos are terrific. Cole Porter did the music, uh, songs from Sammy Kahn. It's just... Um, it's really, really good. Uh, let's make love. Um, then we also have Take a Girl Like You, uh, which was made in 1970. It feels very much like a 1970 movie. Uh, it has Oliver Reed in it. We were just talking about him earlier, yep. that generation of uh, you know British actors. They're just so great. Uh, but really, it's Haley Mills who makes this. And Haley Mills is trying to be basically a grown-up at this point. She's done her, she's paid her dues. Uh, with all the Disney stuff, and now she's going grown up, and uh, it's a you know it's it she does basically what Annette Funicello and a lot of the others yep. did, and even what they still do, yep. Britney Spears and whoever, you, tr you you go for something that tackles the sexual mores of the day and things you know it's not risque, but it still pushes some buttons and um, puts you in a different perspective. Puts you in a different perspective for sure. So it's got a lovely score, which is featured featured here as an isolated score track by uh, Stanley Myers, and uh, you know what it just. It's a wonderful pairing, Haley Mills and Oliver Reed. Uh, My Sister Eileen with Janet Lee, Jack Lemmon, and Betty Garrett is also quite good. This was made in 1955. It dates a tiny bit, I, I think partly because of Richard Quine, who directed it, not one of the most legendary directors of the time, really kind of a workmanlike guy. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's based on uh, Ruth McKenney's autobiography, uh, or the, her autobiographical stories, as it were. And... Um, it's it probably should not have necessarily been a musical, which it is. Um, but you know, you have some great performances in it. Just the same, Janet Lee is good. Jack Lemmon, Rob, Bob Fosse shows up for some strange reason. Uh, most notably, it was co-written with Richard Quine by Blake Edwards. So if there's anything charming in it, I would credit Blake Edwards. Mm. And then lastly, my gal Sal. Uh, my gal Sal is uh, I, I had not seen in a long time. This was made in 1942, directed by Irving Cummings, and uh, it's it's it it doesn't date as well as I had hoped it would. Um, it's a biopic of a uh, of a songwriter from the uh, the 19th century named Paul Dresser, mm. and Victor Mature plays Paul Dresser here, and it is. Um, 
I'm, I was never familiar with who Paul Dresser was. I'm still not particularly familiar with why Paul Dresser was significant. He was, you know, one of those legendary figures of Tin Pan Alley at the time. Yeah. That, you know, Gershwin came out of Tin Pan Alley, and uh, Scott Joplin came out of Tin Pan Alley, and uh, you know, I think Jerome Kern may even have had a, had a foothold there. So a lot of these these figures went on to be really significant in uh, music and, and musical theater and musical yeah. films even into the 1930s. So Paul Dresser. Not really on my radar for that. So uh, without necessarily knowing his significance, you're watching this because of the actors, because of the people in it. Rita Hayworth is 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 you know the is the Sal of the title, but it's not about Sal per se. That's yeah. the that's the weird part of this. So you know she's the she's sort of his muse, as it were, and um, she's very very good. But uh, but again, it feels a little bit dated. Feels a little bit dated, so and maybe also shouldn't have necessarily been a musical. Anyway, it still is a classic Hollywood movie. 1942, My Gal Sal from Twilight Time. Uh, All of these are available, by the way, from TwilightTimeMovies.com. I'm going to leave Superfly for you because you ah. saw Superfly. I did. I did. Uh, I'll knock off the Colossus of Roach real quick, which is a Sergio Leone film. <clears throat> you know, we most often yeah. uh, associate Sergio with the spaghetti western, but this was an interesting movie. Rory Calhoun. <clears throat> plays Dario in the film. Uh, it, it, it's, it's set uh, you know, in 220 BC or something like that, and the giant Apollo has been built mm -hmm. to guard the harbor. It's coming in. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. this whole sort of sinister plot that's going on. It's a very, very sort of interesting, large-scaled film for the time. The casting is perfectly insane. Uh, Rory Calhoun, yeah, uh, as a sort of Roman uh, 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 warrior, Ridiculous. makes no sense whatsoever. Special Ridiculous. features, including a a, 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 a historical commentary. Uh, two weeks in another town. This is this was. I remember this. I remember, believe it or not, watching this extremely edgy movie, um, uh, Kirk Douglas movie, with my mother uh, back in the day. Uh, and this is like 1962. It's about this actor. Who was in an asylum? He was in a car accident. And he was an alcoholic, and he and he went away to a sanitarium for about three years. He comes back. He gets offered a job in Rome by a, an old director friend, played by Edward G. Robinson. Uh, and it's just supposed to be a little job in this movie, and uh, and, and, and Robinson's career is coming to an end. And his producer is is, is is sort of pressing him to to finish the film under under budget. And this young actress, played by Sid Cerise, is in the film. Mm -hmm. And what goes on there becomes sort of interesting and a little sinister. Vincent Minnelli directed the movie, uh, and it's it, you know it's a very very good, very sophisticated movie about uh, you know the sort of underhanded, uh, uh, dark and backhanded sort of things people did in the movie business. It's set in 1962 uh, as this guy tries to tries to make his way back. It's sassy and a little bit sexy, uh, but it's a little bit dark too. Interesting. Vincent Minnelli movie, Two Weeks in Another Town, Kurt Douglas, Edward G. Robinson, Sid Cerise. And we have Superfly. Superfly. We're gonna go. We're gonna go out on Superfly because yes, uh, I, I I reviewed the new Superfly on Film Week a few weeks ago, and um, which is not bad, yeah. by the way. It's no. not. No. Um, which I was I finally got around to checking it out. It's not right. Yeah. It, it's you know right in a bunch of ways that surprised me. So here's the thing: what they did, they the, the new Superfly, and I won't get into reviewing the new Superfly, but they took all the characters from the original Superfly, transplanted them to Atlanta and into mm -hmm. the present day, mm -hmm. and they rewrote the story uh, and the characters to be more relevant to the present day. They kind of found something timeless in it, which I give them all the credit in the world for. Mm -hmm. It winds up basically being uh, a, a, a Joel. Uh, 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 Joel Silver. Joel Silver movie, yeah. which it is. He produced it. But it's, uh, you know... I like, like what you said on the radio show about how it's a movie... 
that it's conceived for the 90s. Yeah. It's, yet it's, it is set in the present day. It's basically... Uh, while referencing the 70s. That's it. it it's, a, it's, a, it's a movie originally made in the 70s that's been remade by a guy with 90s sensibilities for the present day. Mm-hmm. So it sort of lives in these three eras at the same time. And you can see it and feel it. It's very interesting. The ori- And what it doesn't have, of course, is the amazing Curtis Mayfield song score, which is yeah. one of the most legendary collections of songs ever attached to a movie and which makes this movie. Now, Ron O'Neill kills it here. He makes it. He, he lives this character. Yeah. He plays Priest beautifully. A, re- a character relevant to the day. What's that, 72? That was 72, yeah. right? And, and the thing about this is, what's, what, what people forget is that the, there's a dynamic between Shaft and Superfly. Mm. These, are, these are movies directed by father and son. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gordon Parks directed Shaft. Gordon Parks Jr. directed Superfly. Gordon Parks was a self-made man, brilliant photographer, had mm-hmm. lived as an expat in France, and Gordon Parks Jr. was the beneficiary of his father's success. Mm-hmm. Gordon Parks Sr. made a movie that was a studio film. Gordon Parks Jr. made a movie that was independent. Gordon Parks Sr. made a movie that was about a black man who was on the side of law mm-hmm. and order. Gordon Parks Jr. made a movie that was about an anti-hero who was against the law, and the law was crooked. Yeah. And these are all really interesting dynamics, this, which you the, could probably speak to more than I could. Well, the, but the, the generational dynamics are just right there. And it, you know, these are two generations, uh, father and son, representing two very, very different reactions to the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. which was just sort of percolating. It was kind of we were coming out of the Civil Rights Act at that moment in the early seventies. And you know, for me, I'm watching these movies as a white guy, middle class white guy, but it's very clear that there are two different things going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm not connecting to them on an ethnic basis. I'm connecting to them on in terms of what they say about power structures and mm-hmm. what they say about, you know, who's a hero and who isn't. And in one of them, it's cut and dry and black and white, black hat, white hat, good guy, bad guy. Mm-hmm. In the other one, it says you don't know who to trust, and the world is a scary, really, really unjust place. Yeah, yeah, and that's and, and, and you got to make your own way. At the end of the day, you have these two different, uh, you know, <clears throat> tragedy of the loss of Gordon Parks Jr. as such a young man. Yeah, um, but you have these two different black men who are both at trying to enfranchise these black yep. men. At the that's both what they're doing, but they find yeah. these totally different roads to the enfranchisement of the black man. Shaft goes through the uh, the hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, Shaft is, take, is, is going through the system. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and young Gordon Parks with Priest and Superfly not going. But they want the same thing. They want, yeah. they want, uh, they want to come out with heroes uh, who are uh, 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 defining their own destiny. Yep. And that's what they're both trying to do. But they find two different ways there. Very interesting stuff. And man. the songs themselves yeah. differ in that regard. You listen to Isaac Hayes and then you listen to, you know, uh, Pusher Man. Yeah, yeah. Those two songs. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's uh, And Pusher Man is one of the songs that they actually kept in the, in the new movie. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Superfly from the Warner Archive collection is uh, is just sensational. Lots of great extras on here. I mean, lots of great extras because they clearly understand the relevance of this. There is One Last Deal, uh, which is a retrospective documentary. And the commentary on here is from Dr. Todd Boyd uh, yeah. of USC, who has always been one of the foremost scholars of the representation of black people in American cinema. He even wrote it in a book, uh, Am I Black Enough for You? Popular Culture from the Hood and Beyond, which is the great quintessential book. book of all. It's a great book, great isn't book. it? It's a great book. Uh, and then uh, there's also a little Curtis Mayfield ditty, 
uh, a thing uh, called Behind the Hog with Les Dunham. And then uh, they even talked to Ron O'Neill, who, you know, uh, is, a, is really just an amazing historian of, uh, of the period, too. So it's great. Uh, that's Superfly from the Warner Archive Collection. And with that, we are done. Yeah. And we will see you next week. Thank you.